Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right, we doing good at the 11 a.m. today? Um, if you missed being here at the beginning, um, you missed Wayne's World, so just a little plug for that. You never know how we're going to open the service. Um, if you didn't like it, you can email Elam at centerpointfl.org. I'm sure he'll be sure to answer that. Um, I w- so during the first service, starting a brand new series today called God Underdogs. Um, during the first service, my daughter was in my um, office just hanging out because they have to be here all day, like life of a preacher's kid. So she's in my office, and you can hear the live stream in the next room, which I didn't think about. So when I got done, I went into my office after the service, and she's like, Daddy, that was really good. I was like, oh, awesome. And um, then she's like, you're, you're so serious. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm passionate. I'm not really, like, that's what that is. And then she's like, well, I think you should be less passionate in the second service. So um, for, for whatever that's worth, I'm like, thanks, baby. So um, this, is, this is one of those kind of messages because I just feel it so much. So part of it is I go a little old school and maybe preach because it's just kind of in me. So um, I don't know what you're going to get, but I'll, t- I'll try to take my daughter's advice and tone it down a tad. Uh, so we're in part one, God of the underdogs. Now, here's the thing also, too, uh, next few weeks. I'm going to try not to make um, too many sports references. I'm a massive sports fan. Um, this series is just set up for it. And so I'm going to, like, for those of you who are not sports fans, I'm going to try to be mindful. But God of the underdogs is a huge sports theme. So, like, in terms of movie storylines, I love this whole idea. Like, my favorite movies are Rudy, um, Hoosiers, anybody in the house, like top 10 movies of all time, at least in my opinion, love them. I'm, I love when Norfolk State um, wins as a 16th seed in March Madness. Like, I'm all about that stuff. If you're not a sports fan, I don't really know how to relate this. Um, if you like terrible Hallmark movies, maybe it's like this always the underdog guy that, like, you know, gets the girl at the end, so... There you go. Um, but I, I, like, I just love like, that idea. And here's just my theory, and, and at least it's true for me. I think part of why we relate or gravitate toward that, just in terms of story or movies or whatever, is because we, we kind of feel it in us. We, we feel that idea sometimes, whether you know, you've had success, not had success, you're where you want to be, you're not where you want to be. Just that thing of feeling like unqualified, maybe inadequate, uh, don't have what it takes. I mean, all of us have been there. And at some level, like that whole idea can be motivating, can be inspiring. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I loved, again, I love sports. I love basketball. So I played um, basketball in high school. And people thought about that the same that you think from the looks that I just got. So I get it. So I, I had this chip on my shoulder of like naturally, for obvious reasons, un- underestimated constantly. And for me, I just am all in with something. Sometimes it gets a little obsessive. So between like sophomore, junior year, um, I j- for, I'd work and then eight hours a day, I'd just play ball. It was, it was insane. It was too much, whatever. Um, but I just, it was inspiring of you're not going to underestimate me. And I just saw all of you underestimating me. So I won't tell you about the six threes I hit and say championship game, punk. So um, all that... <laughs> 
all that to say, like, it's just in us. Like, we, we feel that. But here's where the underdog mentality can kind of go off the rails a little bit is where, and this is where some of us are at, you start to live under labels over yourself that dominate and really change the trajectory of different areas of your life. Um, where you start to wear a label that it's not just about an incident or you know, a bad decision or a failure. It's about kind of being led in every area of your life with this feeling of, I just don't have what it takes. I'm just not enough. I don't measure up. If anybody knew my past, and you know, I'm trying to figure it out with my kids, and I feel like I'm failing all the time. Like, again, if anybody knew, and you just start to kind of live under these labels in every area of your life, and if you're a Jesus follower, if you care, I know many of you are not, which I'm glad that you're checking this out, glad you're investigating. In a lot of ways, we kind of created this church with you in mind, but if you're a Jesus follower, where you can go off the rails is there's areas of faith that you need to step into, and you just can't. And you're just kind of in a place where you're immobilized and part of it is because of kind of the underdog, I don't have what it takes, in some cases victim mentality, that it's never going to happen for me that literally keeps you from what God has for your life. Now, here's the question, though, that all of us get a chance to answer. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you should tune in right now because it's just a human thing. And then if it gets boring in a few minutes, you can check out. But this is just for all people right here. Like, this is a question we all get to ask. What kind of person do I want to be? Like, what, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of life do I want to live? And, and here's the thing that's true for all of us is you have no control over what happens to you. And some of you, you have some, you have some stories, but you have no control over what happens to you, but you have all of the control. And this is what we miss sometimes, all of the control over how you respond to what happens to you and what you believe as a result of what has happened to you. And so what if, and again, this is gonna seem kind of out there, but just go with me for a second. What if you just decided, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live extraordinary. I'm gonna be extraordinary in every area of my life. Now, here's where I wanna define this because it can get really like, okay, whatever, you're just gonna try to motivate us. But here's the thing. I'm not talking about extraordinary at something. There's a difference. Because you know people who are extraordinary at something, they are not extraordinary people. In fact, some of us may be confused because you have employees and people do what you say and they're really sycophants and you think you're extraordinary and you're not. You just have some influence and some leverage and some power. And one of the things I think just a huge casualty of our culture is this warped understanding to think that somehow giftedness and talent and followers and a platform equals extraordinary. It doesn't. In fact, that's a part of evangelical culture, of kind of a celebrity culture where you think because somebody can talk and stand on a stage, they're extraordinary, and yet you see casualty after casualty of people crashing and burning because they could talk and motivate. They were not an extraordinary individual. So when I'm talking about extraordinary, I'm talking about it may be the most humble, quietest person that you know. In fact, you, you can live an extraordinary life and live a quiet life. Nobody may know your name. You don't even know how to work Instagram. It's fine. I'm talking about extraordinary in terms of, I'm, I'm gonna be an extraordinary husband. I'm gonna be an extraordinary wife. I'm gonna be an extraordinary boss or coworker or educator or friend, or I'm gonna tackle what I'm facing right now and I feel so overwhelmed and I do not know how to parent these kids or how to beat this addiction or how to move through this or how to walk in faith, but I'm going to begin to believe what is true about me and I'm gonna face this with this mindset of, I wanna live extraordinary. I wanna do what an extraordinary person would do in this season of my life. And I'm telling you, like, that, that's possible. Well, what if just in every crossroads, you, you just ask that question, what would an extraordinary person do? How would I re react? How would I respond? How would I move forward? What decision would I make? Now, 
no joke, this last week, I was um, finishing this up. I, I write messages way in advance, and then I tweak kind of week of. So I was at home in my office tweaking, and uh, my kids were home at the time. It's like late afternoon, and I have four kids, if you don't know, um, 10 and under. In fact, shout out to my little girl, 10th birthday yesterday. So um, 10, whatever their ages are, 10, 8, 6, 3. Um, I have them. We forget we even have a fourth one a lot of times. Like, that's what happens when you get four. So they're all home. It's one is after. It is absolute chaos. And so I'm writing this message, and my kids broke the couch in our den a while ago. So that's another story. But they broke our couch, and I couldn't fix it. So we had to get rid of it. And then, you know, you get those cheap couches that you kind of have to assemble them. And so we got another, you know, assembly required couch. It's late afternoon. Our kids are at peak performance in terms of just being out of control. And my wife decides as I walk out of my office, staircase, like entryway to our house, my wife has just stuff everywhere. And she decides that that's a really good time to put this couch together, assemble this couch. And no joke, I walk out and what I would normally do is begin a barrage of sarcastic comments um, passive aggressively to tell her what a terrible idea this was. And no joke, I walked out and I had this thought going in my mind because I was just looking at these notes. I'm like, what would an extraordinary husband do? <laughs> I bet he would probably, and I'm, I was arguing in my mind, he probably would go down there and help her put this couch together. And so I leveled a barrage of sarcastic comments about what a terrible decision this was. And, and then I went down and helped her put the couch together like an extraordinary husband would do in that moment. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss. And do you know how my, my family responded in that moment when I decided to be extraordinary? They didn't notice. So that's not the point. That's not the point. <laughs> They didn't even know anything happened, but it was extraordinary. So my point is, that what, like, what if you decided to do that in every area of your life? Like all the hats you wear as a, as a college student right now, as a friend trying to navigate that thing, the decision you're trying to make, the, the business deal. Like what would an extraordinary version of me do? How would I act and how I would respond? And then here's the other thing, lest you think I'm just, oh, you, you know, you're a good public speaker, you're motivated, you're trying to hype me up. Okay, before you go there, I just want to say this to you. I mean, isn't this what you want for the people around you? And again, I'm not talking about extraordinary at something. I'm talking about an extraordinary person, somebody with character and integrity and grit when they're walking through a really difficult time and somehow have confidence in God anyway. I'm talking about that honest. I'm talking about that kind of person. Like, isn't this what you want? Like, you didn't marry your spouse and like, hey, hey, babe, I, you know, I married you because you're average. And so don't go get an extraordinary. That's gonna mess everything up and the dynamic. Like, you wouldn't do it. Or if you have a son, I mean, you're not, or you're, you know, you're an, a boss and your employees, you're not going to go to your employer or go to your son and go, hey, just so you know, we have a multi-generational pattern of mediocrity in this family. Don't screw that up. Like, don't, you're not going to do that. This is what you want. This is what, and come on, how many times do we get to live this life? How many times do we get to do this? And I don't know what your worldview is. I mean, maybe you think you're, you're coming back. If it wasn't, you know, didn't do well as a cat or something, but, and I'm not making fun of that worldview, I don't know, but like, we get one shot at this thing. So what if you just decided, I'm going to live an extraordinary life. Now, here's the thing. I, I get it. Like, you don't have what it takes. The reality is, is the truth of the scripture. You are unqualified. You are facing things that are over your head. And here's what I'd say. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this is where you can just kind of tune out, but I hope you don't, because I think it's relevant to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we miss. This is what you've been called to. 
This is what God has uniquely equipped you for, to live differently, to live extraordinary, not extraordinary talent and ability. You can have that, you cannot have that, that we way overestimate that. I'm talking about an extraordinary individual because maybe you've never thought about this before. But here's what you believe if you're a follower of Jesus. You believe that God is a personal God and that he sent Jesus to planet earth into time, into space, condescending into flesh so that he could walk where we walked and feel what we feel. And you believe that God came for a purpose to give us forgiveness, to give us life. And then he invites us into life and life to the full. You believe that history is linear, that God is writing a bigger and larger story than us. And we have been invited into that story and your life matters. And it doesn't just matter for right now or in this season. It matters for all of eternity. And you are made in the image of God and everybody you're eyeball to eyeball with is in the Imago Day, made in the image of God. Your life matters. You've been given an extraordinary gift. And if you believe this, the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ. You have the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead inside of you. You have every reason to live like it, to live an extraordinary life. And of course you're an underdog. And the story of the scriptures, and I hope you get this in our few moments, and it's my prayer that somehow God would move this from your head to your heart. Of course you're an underdog. And God specializes in using unimpressive and unqualified people. So at the end of the story, It's for his glory and for your good and nobody's mistaken about who ultimately is doing the work in and through you. We have every reason to live this way. In fact, if you're facing something right now where the the haunting reminders of your own security, your own past, your own shortcomings are just dominating you, the reality is when the odds are against you, God's with you, God's for you. And God wants to do something in you and through you. And I wish that we could transform our hearts and minds into this thinking to better interpret our circumstances. But here's the reality. When, when the odds are against you, that is not an obstacle to God. You look at the scripture, generally that's a setup for what God wants to do in your life. And the area where you are most unqualified and busted up may be the epicenter of God's greatest activity in your life. So what? What, in light of all of that, would an extraordinary version of you do? How would you live despite everything? One of the best examples of this in all the scripture, one of my favorite stories is in the book of Judges, surprisingly. And there's a guy by the name of Gideon and he was one of the judges in Israel. Now here's the quick 45 second like, you know, context of this whole thing. So I'm gonna be real quick. But Israel was kind of, you know, appointed by God, set apart for God. They were delivered um, from Egypt. And Israel was, was God's nation to show off to the world. This is what it's like to have a relationship with God. And God set up a very unique covenant relationship with them. And when the nation of Israel was established, God did not put an earthly king in charge of them. Instead, he put judges. They were to kind of rule and administer for the nation of Israel. And God was to be their king. And God, this is kind of the first theocracy, nothing like this in the world had ever existed. And God did it for a reason because he wanted the surrounding nations to look at Israel and go, there's something different about those people. And there's something different about their God and that they would have an impact on the nations and the world around them. So that's how God set it up. And then eventually Israel did what a lot of people do and they looked around at all the surrounding cultures and they began to copy the culture. And eventually if you look around and copy the culture, you become just like the culture. And so they decided we want a king because we want to be like everybody else and like the cool nations. And so God give us a king. And so God relented, which is kind of terrifying because sometimes God will give us exactly what we want. 
And so they had a king, and there was this cycle of Israel under these kings would disobey, and they had horrible kings. They had a few good kings, horrible kings again. They would disobey. There would be disaster because of their decisions, and then God would deliver them. But in a 300-year span and all this time, there were judges, and Gideon was one of those judges. And it's no overstatement to say that God had uniquely gifted and called Gideon. That Gideon had a divine destiny and a divine will to do something very specific in the nation and for the world around him. And Gideon, like a lot of us, believed God. And yet he got to the place to forget what God had called him to and to forget who he was and to begin to hide behind excuses thinking, the odds are against me, there's no way forward, I can't do this. And what he felt about himself, in a sense, completely canceled out what God had already spoken over his life and already promised to him. And here's where it picks up in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he, God, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And the Midianites were basically like distant cousins of Israel, and they'd been feuding for years. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain, clefts, caves, strongholds, because Midian had invaded and kind of overtaken Israel. So Israel was just on the run. They were hiding. They were scared to death. They were overpowered. And so verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites... The Amalekites and the other eastern peoples invaded the country and they camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. And then verse 6, Midian was so impoverished, the Isra- so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So basically for seven years, and this is the long history of Israel during the time, they're like, God, forget you. We're not doing what you want. We're going to copy the culture around us. They experienced disaster. And then they would experience disaster and they would cry out to the very one that they rejected. Like in our terms, this is like your dad going, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't do it. Hey, dad, I need bail. Like this is the nation of Israel with God. We've rejected you. We don't care about you. Now we need your help. And they threw up their hands. And here's what I love. Just don't miss this and I'll move on. Because I don't know what some of you experience. I don't know what you feel. I don't know what somebody's told you. I don't know what your church experience has been. This is the spectacular, show-stopping nature of the good news of Jesus that you see all throughout the scripture, that every single time Israel would run and then repent and then cry out, God would enter their chaos and he would receive them back. And I just want to encourage you for a second because some of you are on your 37th try and the reality is that God is merciful And sometimes it's misinterpreted, but God is merciful in that he will allow you to feel the full weight of the consequences of your decisions. And he doesn't do it to pay you back. He does it in order to win you back quicker. And what I love is, because this is the question, well, how many times will God do that? As many times as you need. And if you're like, you don't know, you don't know how busted up, you don't know how dysfunctional, you know what I did, you don't know uh, how I treated him, you don't know what I'm dealing with, you don't know how long the addiction has lasted, I don't care if you're 47th time, when you repent, when you cry out, when you begin to move, God will enter your chaos every single time because he is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace and his love is relentless, it is unending and it never runs out. And so there they are, and the nation throws up their hands. They're like, God, we need you again. And that's when we meet Gideon in verse 11. And the angel of the Lord 
and this is kind of complicated theologically, so I'm just going to say it this way. This is God's spokesman, basically. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Oprah, and, which belonged to Joas the Abrazite, where, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, just real quick, quick pause. We just go on by this, but this is, this is really interesting with what God's about to say over Gideon. Gideon, I have a unique calling for your life. Gideon, I have a will for your life. God, I'm, Gideon, I'm going to do something. I know it seems like everything is stacked against you in the nation, but do not forget what I promised you. And here Gideon is with all of that, with what God is going to remind him of. And he is in a wine press threshing wheat. Here's why this is a big deal. Generally, when you thresh wheat, you would do it at ground level. And the wind would basically separate the wheat from the chaff and you'd get the good wheat. Dude's in a wine press, basically a cave, a hideout, a barn, and he's trying to thresh wheat. And the reason he's doing that is because he's scared to death. And he's forgotten what God's promised, and he's forgotten what God said, and he's scared to death of the Midianites, and rightfully so, he's looking at all the circumstances around him going, I do not have what it takes. And so then it says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you. I love this. Gideon, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, me? Do you see where I am? Do you know, do you know what I'm doing right now? This is, the, this is the worst way to, you know, thresh wheat. I'm hiding out in a cave. I am not a mighty warrior. In fact, furthest thing from it. And this is where some of us are at. Because you are faced with something where there's no way that I can figure out this decision. There's no way that we can reconcile this. There's no way that I can keep bearing up under the weight of this pressure. There's no way that I can stay faithful. There's no way that I'm gonna be able to say no to this. There's no way that I have what it takes to do what I feel like God is calling me to do. And I know all the verses, but I'm just not there. And you're in a place where despite what God has done in the past for many of you, despite how you have seen God work, despite the fact that you've been in other circumstances where you were down and out, you could not connect the dots, you were overwhelmed and underqualified, and you watched God come through and reveal that he was with you and he was for you, and you have completely forgotten his faithfulness, what he did, what he's willing to do, and right now you're in a place to go, do you know where I am? Do you know where I was at last night? Do you know why my eyes are bloodshot? Do you know what I did, how I treated them, how I messed up this thing, what I have that I'm carrying from the last decade of my life? Do you know where I am? And that's exactly where Gideon is as as God comes to him. And so he says this in verse 13. I love how polite he is. But sir, if the Lord is with us, and this is again, this is so real, man. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Hey, God, if you're with me, why haven't you answered my prayer? If you're with me, why can't we get pregnant? If you're with me, why am I dealing with this when we have been so faithful? God, if you're with me, why, why have you answered their prayers and you haven't answered my prayer? If you're with me, why do I feel like for the last six years I'm grinding and I just want you to throw me a bone? Come on, Why? Like, why haven't you done something? And here's what I want you to know that I think is so incredibly powerful, that Gideon asked the same question that we asked 3,300 years ago. And here's the other thing you need to know. God is not offended by that question. In fact, this is one of the huge angst for me because I think that we'd make a lot more progress in our spiritual journey if we stopped praying such nice, polite prayers. God already knows your heart. 
God already knows where you're at. God already knows how you're screwed up. We can't make traction because we've created these Christian church cultures where everybody's trying to be polite and God's going, would you just be honest with me? And if you would pray some, you know, PG-13 prayers to go, God, this is how I feel. God, this is what is going on in my life. This is the angst that I'm carrying that may actually be the catalyst for what God wants to do in your life in this next season. Stop being so nice. God's big. He can handle it. And so Gideon's like, I don't get it. So where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, didn't the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? I think Gideon's kind of sarcastic. I know the story. I grew up in Sunday school. You delivered, you know, the Israelites out of Egypt. It was amazing. So many miracles. We, we've heard all about it. But here's my question. God did all the delivering from Egypt. Why isn't he delivering us now? Like, why doesn't God do for us what God did for them? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Again, I love this, man. Gideon is so real. He's not polite at all. And he put us in the hand of Midian, and I'm not a mighty warrior. And I'm starting to doubt, honestly, that God is a mighty God, and it is not working out for me. And the Lord turned to him and said, <laughs> I love this. It's like he didn't hear anything. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. And Gideon's like, did you not hear a thing I just said? Are you serious? Like, are you not tracking? I'm not the guy. I'm in a wine press. I'm scared to death. I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm too inadequate. I'm too insecure. And then God says, he doubles down, Gideon, am I not sending you, man? But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I mean, not only do I feel inadequate and insecure, I'm the weakest clan from the weakest tribe. Like everybody knows us and we're just, you know, we didn't graduate from junior college. Our GPA was not that great. We don't have what it takes. We're not socially in a place where we're like, we've got those skills. There's too much from our past that we're dragging around, too insecure. Like we don't have it, we can't do it. But the Lord said to him, um, or, or Gideon said to the Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And this is so powerful, verse 16. The Lord answered, oh then, never mind. I must be at the wrong house. That's not what he said. And for real, I don't know that this will land. This is where I feel the weight of communicating and preaching sometimes because I, I can't do this for you. But my prayer is I've gone over these verses and this narrative and, and the truth behind it is that somehow God would awaken your soul to the reality of this. Because this next part is so powerful. God's coming to Gideon and going, Gideon, I know you don't feel like a mighty warrior. But I'm telling you, you are. I'm not. You are. I'm not Gideon. You are. And are you going to believe your estimation of you? Or are you going to believe my estimation of you? And I can't preach this hard enough because this is the epicenter 
of the good news of what you acquire when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. It is not simply forgiveness of sin. We stop way short of the power of this message. It is a new life. It is a new identity. It is a new calling. It is the spirit of God inside of you. And it is, be, it is to begin to believe what is actually true about you in Christ before any of your feelings catch up. And if God has called you, God will equip you. If God has said it, God will do it. And the reality is for a lot of us, our estimation of us is based on what everybody else has said about us and what you have begun to say about you. And for some of us, it is a word, it's a moment as a sixth grader, it's a failure as a sophomore, it's a, a marriage that went bad, it's this feeling that you got because you just face-planted in terms of this area of your life, and nobody even said anything, but you began to wear the label of, I'm not enough, I'm not qualified, I can't do it. And there has been so many steps of faith that God's calling you into, and you can't do it. You are paralyzed by the fear and the labels that you're wearing over your life. And, and in this moment, basically, God's showing up to Gideon and he's saying to us through the ages, what if you are wrong about you? What if everybody else is wrong about you? Because I don't see the way that you see. What if we have lived so much of our Christian and faith journey around average and normal so much that we forget that God sees us differently? And it is not the economy of this world. And he does not judge success the same way. And he does not have the same scale that we do. But he has called us to something extraordinary in this moment of time. And you don't need gifting for that. You don't need talent for that. You don't need to be articulate for that. You don't need to have a pretty little life for that. You don't need to have all of your kids in line for that. You don't need to be at a place where you don't struggle with social anxiety for that. He has called you as a follower of Jesus, lavishly loved, son and daughter, Daughter, creator God of the universe with the spirit that raised Christ from the dead in you. And if he has called you, he will do it and he sees you differently than you see you. See, that's what my daughter was telling me, but I can't help it. Here's how I know that's true because in many cases when you are impacted somebody whose life is extraordinary... And I just want to say this again. This is, this is, I wish we could just preach this more in our culture. They, that individual may be really uneducated and really quiet and really unassuming. And in the economy of the kingdom of God, one day they're going to have a front row seat. Extraordinary looks different than how we often measure extraordinary and what we're enamored by. But those kind of people, when, when your life is impacted, they will tell you a story of that some point along the way, their soul was awakened to the reality that God knows my name and that God is with me and that God is for me and that God wants to do something in me and through me. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is this whole idea that one day on the other side of this life, we're going to see as God sees. In fact, St. Augustine said it this way, and this was his take theologically. He's like, when we get to heaven, nobody will sin, but nobody will sin not because they can't. They won't sin because they will see so clearly they'd never want to. And they will see themselves fully in that moment as God sees them. So God says to you, whatever you're struggling with, whatever the excuses are, whatever has been done to you, wherever you're stopping short, whatever baggage you're carrying, I don't see you the way that you see you. 
And this is Gideon's moment. And in verse 16, the Lord answered, Gideon, I will be with you. The question, Gideon, is not will I be with you. The question, CEO, the question, educator, the question, mom, the question, dad, brother, entrepreneur, not where I wanted to be in life. I'm seven years behind my plan. Things are not working out. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know if I have what it takes. The question God would say is not, will I be with you? The question is, will you be with me? Will you join me? Will you believe what I say about you? Will you step in to everything that I've done to equip you and to call you to live differently? And the powerful thing is like in this moment, you don't need anything else to be able to do that and you don't need any circumstances to change. The scripture says that God has given you right now if you're in Christ, everything that you need for life and for godliness. And generally, the only obstacle to stepping into that and living that is transforming your mind and beginning to believe what is true about you and what God has said about you, which is why this series is such a big deal because here's the reality. You have a choice. You have a choice of what you're gonna believe. You have a choice of how you're gonna respond. You have a choice of whether you're gonna get up every single day and be confident that God's with you, that God is for you, that God's called you, that God's in you. You get the choice of how you're going to respond to what has been done to you. And come on, average and normal and just kind of the, the cultural trend and where everybody else goes is to hide behind excuses and give reasons why you can't and shirk the calling and responsibility that God's given you. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you will miss the extraordinary plan and calling and person that God has destined you to be. And that is not hype. That is not motivation. That is what we have been given in Christ. And God's moment with Gideon is to show up to Gideon and go, Gideon, Gideon, I've called you to something. I don't want you to miss it. And I'm not here to give you a 101 manual. And I'm not here to give you some special, extraordinary gifting. Gideon had none, to be honest. Or some special, extraordinary talent. That's not what this is about. God shows up to Gideon and says, you're a mighty warrior. You have a divine destiny. I'm gonna do something through your life. And you know what I'm gonna give you to accomplish it? Me. I'm gonna give you me. I'm going to be with you. And Gideon, that is all you're gonna need. That's all you're going to need. So what if, what if you began to step into, I'm going to live confident that God's with me, that God's for me. I'm going to face this thing confident that God's with me, God's for me. I'm going to begin to step into my role as a spouse when it's not going well, and I'm going to live confident that God's with me and for me. I'm going to respond how anybody who would respond who's in a difficult relationship, but they're confident God's with them and for them anyway. I'm gonna face this thing where I don't have answers and I don't know how to get to the other side and I'm gonna do what anybody would do, face with answers that they don't have and a task that's too big that was confident that God was with them and for them and they don't need to see the finish line to know that God's gonna be with them all the way through. What, what if you began to live that way? And I get, I get the resistance again. Well, yeah, you don't know. You, you, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know where I, I've fallen short. You don't know my past. You don't know my back. Okay, I get all that. But then Paul in the New Testament steps into this culture in Rome where Christians 
were trying to be Christians under Nero. Dude that would light his garden up by lighting Christians on fire. And they had everything stacked against them. All the odds were against them. And there was this promise that this new movement was going to change the world. And they're like, how? There's Rome is too big. Nero's too powerful. We don't have what it takes. And here's what Paul writes to that church in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He's like, I, I know you don't have what it takes. I know you're a mess. I know that most of the time you're tempted to hide in fear. I know that Rome is too powerful. I know that Nero seems like that Nero is never going to be toppled. I know that you've dealt with persecution. I know that there's hurt. I know that there's heartache. I know you don't know the way forward. I know that I haven't given you the plans. why I want you to walk by faith. I know all of those things, but I'm asking you to step in and to see differently. I want you to step into how I see you, and I want you to begin to wake up every day and do what anybody would do with all the odds against them under Nero in Rome when they might might lose their life, but they are absolutely confident that God is with them, and God is for them, and God is working in them, and God is working through them. And undoubtedly, the Roman Christians are like, okay, yeah, 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 but how, Paul, how do we know this? Like, how can we know? How can we know? Because verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. You don't know by looking at your circumstances or your ability to figure things out or to get all the answers to the questions of why did God and why didn't God. You're not gonna get it by listening to the voices of what other people have spoken about you. Most people are wrong. You're not gonna get it by listening to your own intuitive voice over you because your voice about you and your life and who you are oftentimes is wrong. The only way you are gonna step into this, Paul is saying, is because 2,000 years ago in our, say, our case, God gave up his son. That's how you know. It's economics 101, it's finance 101. The value of a thing is determined by the price it brings. The value of a thing is determined by the price it brings. If you wanna know how much something's worth when you put it up on Facebook Marketplace with that ridiculous price you have attached to it, the only way you're gonna know how much it is is how much somebody is willing to pay for it. And in history, we have this thing anchored that says you are worth the son of God, that your heavenly father gave up his life and equated your worth with Jesus. So if you wanna know how much you're worth, if you wanna know what God thinks about you, if you wanna know how God feels about you, if you wanna know whether you're capable, whether you're equipped, whether God will do it, whether God will be faithful, whether God will come through, this is all the information you need, not your circumstances, not those voices, not what people have said about you. One time in history, God the father sent his son and the only way he could redeem, reconcile, and buy you back was for his son to give up his life, which means you are worth Jesus. And when your heavenly father looks at you, he doesn't see your screw-ups and your dysfunction and your lack of, he sees the power and the presence and the life of Jesus over you. And now he says, I want you to step in, renew your mind, and believe that. And if you will, it will transform your world. Stop believing the lies. You are worth the son of God. Live like it. The story of Gideon ends so strangely, you can read it for yourself. But at the end of the story, Gideon, this guy who's terrified, that has no real bravery or boldness. One night he just 
he took, took baby steps. He just mustered up enough courage to go out because Israel had adopted all these Midianite gods because they, they copied the culture. And Gideon knew they were off the rails. So one night he gets up just enough energy and he sneaks out and he knocks over an idol and then he runs back. Like, Gideon, good job, man. And then you watch the, the ark build and you watch Gideon's courage and boldness grow. And this guy who is scared to death and fearful and hiding steps in to everything that God had said about him. And in some ways he changed a nation in that moment in history and he didn't do it because suddenly he got more talented or got more education or a new set of gifting or a 101 manual. He got it because he stepped into who he already was and believed what God had said about him. And here's the reality for a lot of us. It's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. This is what we always miss. It is equally as dangerous to think of yourself less than God does. And this isn't about inspiration. I don't need to inspire you. And this isn't about being in a place of staying out of trouble because we've just reduced Christianity to here's what we're against. Here's what you need to stay away from. Here's how you need to be good. That is such a low bar. This isn't about staying out of trouble. It's about reaching your full potential. It's recognizing that God's called you, that you have a divine destiny. I bet right now he's asking you to step out in faith in some area, or he has faced you with a challenge that you cannot do in your own strength. And when the odds are against you, God is with you. God is for you. God wants to do something in you. God wants to do something through you. And maybe this is the moment where your circumstances don't change, but your thinking does. And you begin to transform your thinking with the reality of what I'm facing right now that is above me, beyond me, and over my head is actually the epicenter of where God wants to show off his power more than any other area of my life. And that was the invitation to Gideon. And that's the invitation to you. So wherever you're at, and if you're online or listening via radio or watching, I would invite you into this to just pray with us. And if you're physically in the house, would you just stand for just a second? And for those of you who are maybe in this place, just bow your heads, close your eyes, if you don't mind, just out of just respect for people around you. I know you may not even believe the God thing or this is your first prayer in a while. Like you can just, you can just chill, but just out of respect for people who are around you. I wanna lead some of you in a prayer of just kind of declaration. And I, I understand I can't do this for you, but my hope is that by the power and the spirit of God, some of you would begin to be awakened. And maybe in this moment, maybe in the coming moments, coming days, coming weeks, to the reality of what is true that would begin to change the trajectory of your life. And so wherever you're at in your own heart and mind, you can pray this after me, but Jesus, I just pray that you in this moment would help me to begin to believe what's true. Where I'm facing obstacles, where I don't feel like enough, where I haven't measured up, where I'm still clinging to the past. I pray that I would begin to step in to the reality that none of those things define me and that I am defined by the fact that Jesus gave up his life for me, that I'm worth Christ, that I am a son, I'm a daughter of the creator God of the universe, that I am lavishly loved, that I am purpose intended. And with what I'm facing right now and where I feel inadequate and where I'm struggling, I pray that I would just begin to renew my mind that when all of the odds are against me, you are with me. You are for me. 
move this from my head to my heart and begin to transform my life, to step in faith and believe that right now you wanna do something around me, in me, through me, for your glory, for my good. And I pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.